Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. COP26 may be over, but the conversation has only just begun. And for this podcast, I'll be inviting the stakeholders, firms, and organizations that innovate, inspire, and encourage small, sustainable steps to drive a positive legacy on the road to 2030. COP26 may be over, but the conversation has only just begun. And for this podcast, I'll be inviting the stakeholders, firms, and organizations that innovate, inspire, and encourage small, sustainable steps to drive a positive legacy on the road to 2030. Hello and welcome to the Herald's Climate Conversations podcast in association with Epson. I'm Mark Straffey, Head of Research and Policy for Scotland Is, and today I'm delighted to be joined by Martin Valenti, Director of Net Zero at the South of Scotland Enterprise, in the first episode of the Herald's Climate Conversations. So to kick off, Martin, you've been in this game for quite a while now. Just give us a kind of flavour of how you got into it and some of your career highlights so far. Uh, good question, Matt, and I'm delighted to be here, everyone. Thanks for the invitation. And actually, I didn't realise that was the first, so I'm even more excited. Thanks for that. So I'll try not to disappoint. Uh, I've been, uh, I'm approaching a very special birthday next month, so I'll let you all try and figure that one out. And by the way, it's not 21. And for 40 years, I'll give you a bit of a hint, I've been working in the environment sector from some some angle. And the funny thing, Mark, is every angle I've been in blames the other angle for climate change. So I've been in the regulatory sector who would say, well, businesses need to do more and they need to behave better and they need to perform better and be more compliant. I've been in uh, the government side of things where we're saying we, we've made really, really good policy. We just wish people would you know, pick it up and run with it and implement it. I've been in the private sector where we're saying, well, actually, regulations are a bit too prescriptive and they don't allow me the flexibility to do creative innovation. So here I am now, the COP just finished, you know, a week ago back, and I now understand what the opportunity that we have in front of us, like, it's unbelievable. It's, this is the chance to leave all of those angles and all of those fragmented points of view and come together. Scotland is a kind of small country, we're small enough to get, uh, to get things done quickly and big enough to make an impact. So for me, there's been a lot of talk in the past about who's to blame for climate change. We need to pull a plug on that and need to start focusing now in the next six, seven years. This is the decade of delivery. That's a really important point. If, if we don't get things right this decade, 2045, 2050 is going to become irrelevant. 20, between now and 2030, nine years, that's not a long time. Uh, in those nine years, uh, we really need to make seismic shifts in how we see the environment. It isn't a problem to manage only it's an opportunity to explore and when we begin to the chat today about some of the businesses that we saw at COP a lot of these fantastic Scottish businesses and businesses who have chosen to locate in Scotland because of who we are and our ambition uh, the solutions are out there the finance is out there it's time to stop finding who to blame for climate change and start finding who to partner with to solve the problem so yeah. I'm now working through the lens of an economic agency so that's probably everything I've done in my life's led me up to this point and I used to speak to businesses about, you know, doing good is good for business. I would get the quizzical, really, is that is that, is that true? So, uh, so here I am now actually in the economic part of Scotland's, you know, family saying, 
this is where the funding's gone. These are where the investors are looking. This opportunity has social license and regulatory license. Let's just crack on and get on with it. So that's a kind of rapid tour of where I've come from. So I've worked in lots of different sectors and it's only now through the experience of time and uh, experience that I realized the solution has been in front of us all these years. I mean, I never quite realized that the solution is collaboration, not combat. 100% man. And just on that point there, we, you mentioned COP26 and I suspect you and I were probably at various events around it. And what, what are kind of some of your own kind of personal takeaways and reflections from COP? And also from a kind of social point of view, there was a great showcase of the south of Scotland at COP26, yeah. for example, the Intelligent Growth Solutions uh, Vertical Farm. So what were kind of some of your reflections and takeaways as we call on looking back and reflecting on that? Yeah, so... Again, these are really, really good questions because it, my answer, I know, will split the crowd. I am optimistic. I, I'm quite hopeful that the outcome was actually as much as we probably could have achieved in the world that we're in. And I, when I say the world we're in, I mean a pandemic scenario that we're in. If we weren't in a COVID pandemic, who knows what agreements would have been made or wouldn't have been made. So there's been something about what's happening to us that seems to be out of control. We can't really control the pandemic. We can manage it to a degree, but we can't eradicate it fully. And there's this recognition we're going to have to live with some of the problems, but we've got uh, vaccines. But the newsflash is there will never be a vaccine for climate change. The only solution for climate change is act, action, 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 action. It has got to be relentless. And my reflections was most of the meetings, if not all of the meetings I was at, I was just sitting, smiling, watching businesses, but like you said, intelligent growth solutions, Thermify, Amanda Pickford from our region as well. Uh, the ethical dairy, the, there is no shortage of businesses who are saying, whilst you're over there trying to manage climate change, we're over here solving it. Whilst you're over there managing compliance through a regulatory framework, we're over here growing an economic opportunity out of it. And there is seriously thousands of businesses. And what really buoyed me was most of them have come from Scotland. They've either come from the Scottish and uh, university sector, which is just second to none in the world, I would say. We've got the funding council, you've got the innovation centres, you've got a regulatory agency, which is coming forward with ideas, and not just barriers. You've got a nature agency that's presenting nature-based solutions. Actually, this is the greatest opportunity we've ever had to, to align all of Scotland's. I mean, we've even seen it in the football, Mark. I'm going to be honest with you. We're seeing something that we've never seen for a long time. We're seeing a team play out with its capabilities and smashing it. Well, that's what I think we did at COP26. Now, I'll caveat that with some frustration is that it isn't our COP. It wasn't Scotland's COP. It was the United Kingdom's COP. So we had a role to play and a supportive uh, doing fringe events and etc. So that was a mildly frustrating thing for me personally, not for my agency, just me personally, who's been desperate to get involved in solving these problems for a long time. And I had the world leaders, you know, a mile along the road and you couldn't you couldn't get in and sit with them and eyeball them. But we still managed to, you know, influence some of the dialogue and people would be under no illusion when they left Scotland that this is the country that's on its toes, solving problems, not on its knees, crumbling under climate change. Some personal reflections generally upbeat, quite optimistic. 1.5 is still there, but it's a very faint pulse. So what we're needing now is defibrillation. We need ideas. We need prospects, not concepts. And we need businesses and communities to come together rather than to fragment and say, if only you would do more. Well, if only you would do more, this is their opportunity for us to say, you know, I'm going to do more. 
Yeah, no, hundred percent, man. I think I think that collaboration piece that was certainly something I took very strongly from the conference as well. And I know that you and I are probably optimists by nature, but yeah. was there a degree of frustration? And what were those frustrations from your point of view as well? I think it's only right that we look at both sides of the coin as well. Absolutely, yeah. And you know what? Every business, I'm thinking of, a, of every entrepreneur will sit and look at a scenario, and it will be they'll do first thing they'll do is the opportunity assessment and then they'll get all excited and then they'll do the risk assessment and then they'll get a bit depressed because every great idea, every great venture, every great step forward could go horribly and spectacularly wrong. And by the way, they do a lot of the time. But there's something about the mindset of the entrepreneur goes, I'm just going to crack on. That didn't work, so I'm going to try something new. That didn't work, I'm going to try. In the public sector, it's difficult to do that because we've got to get it right first time every time because it's public money. And so there's a there's an added pressure on the public sector agencies who are like me. They're like, I just want to do stuff. I want to crack on. But we've also got you know, the eyes of the public in Scotland going, well, I'm not really sure. I want you looking at those big, brave things. I want you to be managing some of these problems. And I understand that. And that's acceptable to a degree. It's ever so slightly on a personal level. I'm, I'm just, I'm not alone in this world. Mark. There's lots of people like me that are saying, why don't we have a go at this? Why don't we have a go at that? But sometimes the, the constraints run about is make it difficult. But so a frustration for me was, you know, Scotland should have been at the negotiation tables where we weren't, but that's just, that's just the nature of how these things work. But it's funny, it's something that happened in 2009. Copenhagen was flagged as, you know, like the COP26 of its time, it was supposed to be the COP that solved all the problems. It was an unmitigated disaster. Nothing happened. In fact, it took the world back several steps uh, and it caused a lot of animosity. And I actually think it created the lack of Trumpism. We can talk about that later. It created this ambiguity about opportunities. It made everything just look like it was going to be complex and miserable and expensive. And by the way, nobody was going to get involved in those that agenda. And... So the UK government went out and launched a 34% emission reduction target by like 2020 as an interim target. And I remember going out with Team Scotland, we'll call it. It was like 250 people from across Scotland, the academics, the businesses, the NGOs, a lot of us. It was fantastic. So we went out uninvited, I, sh I should say, and we launched the world's highest climate change targets in Copenhagen. When everyone else, America, for example, was looking at 19% emission reduction, you're thinking, Where's the ambition there? This is this from the country that decided they were going to go to the moon without knowing how they were going to get there. Suddenly, they've lost all of that um, enthusiasm, ambition. It's good to see it's back. But in Scotland, we thought, we could probably do more. We could probably be better than that general UK approach. So why don't we go out and create this new fellowship of the willing? It was called the 2020 Climate Group. I co-created it with a chief executive of uh, Scottish and Southern Energy at the time, a chap called Ian Marchant, who's now legendary. And Ian and I talked 28 other CEOs from Lloyds Bank, from BT, from First Group, from Stagecoach, Take Your Pick, some of the big Ineos. And we got these people in the Falkirk Wheel in December the 9th, it was in 2009. And we agreed that we were going to go to Copenhagen the next week and launch the world's highest climate change targets because Scotland wanted to look at the, what's the opportunity that we can explore in a business sense. So this was a bunch of businesses who went out there and agreed to work together, share ideas, share experience, you know, share uh, equipment when it came to that, because we actually saw Scottish and Southern Energy and Scottish Power working closely together on projects and stagecoach and first group. You know, that was that's normally these guys are in different fields. And it was fantastic to see that collaboration. 
So cutting a very long story short, and this is the kind of brag that I should say is that in that decade, 2009 to 19, when we went out and launched the 42% emission reduction, reduction target by 2020, everyone said it was impossible. You couldn't make it. Who do you think you are, Scotland? You know, you're just tiny and you're not. We beat that target in 2016. So we did it four years earlier than we said we would. And Scotland's economy grew and we cut our emissions faster than any country in the G20. Now, I'm not taking all the credit for that, but what I'm saying is, is that that achievement came from a narrative of hope and optimism and business sense and innovation and let's crack on and get stuff done. It didn't come from let's circle the wagons and wait to see some other smarter country than us come up with solutions. And I would, I didn't get that sense at COP26. There didn't seem to be the same level of businesses uh, collaborating. There's still there was lots of businesses there, and, and but there was also lots of lobby groups there. But we heard from media uh, about there was the biggest collective that was there from the lobbying sectors like oil and gas and et cetera. And of course, they've got a role to play. It was like 502 delegates, I think. It was quite a seismic amount of people there. So what I would love to have seen at COP26 was much more collaborative businesses coming together like back, like we did back in 2009 and then encourage the government, which is what we did then, to go, instead of going to 34%, to go to 42 and they did it to be fair to the first minister and Stuart Stevenson who deserved great credit he was the climate change energy minister at the time because I remember sitting in a meeting in Scottish and Southern Energy with Ian Marchant and there was a group of people there and we were trying to convince the government to go higher coming from a business perspective which was unusual because some people wrongly think businesses want less regulation we were wanting more. We were saying, actually, let's make it tough for people to do daft things. Let's make it easier for people to do good things and let's incentivize hope and, and penalize uh, bad ideas. So then we gave them the book, The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, classic, right? And uh, the ultimate answer to the ultimate question in the universe is 42. Somebody can Google that later and see it. So that was where the figure came from, Mark. We said Scotland should go for 42% emission reduction by 2020. You know, in the sharp intake of breath from the minister at the time and, and, and first minister, then first minister was, are you sure you think, you know, Scotland could do this? We're like, absolutely, let's just crack on. And we did it. And we did it four years earlier. So I would love to see more of that spirit of, you know, ambition and endeavour, uh, especially now we now need to get the fallout for COP26 and get ourselves assembled for COP27. And I'd love to see this massive, big Team Scotland going out to Egypt and really showcasing that we know how to solve problems and we know how to grow economies in the right sense. So it's quite exciting times ahead. No, and it's, it's something you said there, Martin, you mentioned it earlier on about the economic piece. And I wonder around climate and environment, have we been missing a trick in the sense that we've been seeing climate here and in the economy over there? And actually they're a lot closer than we actually think. And there is, is there a role here for sustainable economic growth or clean growth as it were? Yes, you're absolutely right. Do you know, the you said the, the magic G word, it's the growth word that splits the camp. It's like Brexit and Marmite, right? When you say growth, you'll get a camp of people that go, well, you're just talking about more widgets and more emissions and less equality and more inequality and blah, blah, blah. And, and there's an argument to say you can see why they think that because you just need to look at other nations whose growth, uh, whose financial growth is completely coupled to economic uh, carbon emissions increase so that's so so let's not blame people for 
thinking that. It's a fact that it can happen. But there's a cleverness in Scotland's economic uh, approach. We, we had on the Scotland's Economic Advisory Council, can't remember the technical term of them, but you've got Professor Mariana Mazzucato on there, who is, who is the 21st century Adam Smith, only significantly smarter. She's creating this new regenerative economy, this new mindset, but how do you grow? I'm saying the G word again now, I'm so used to it. How do you build an economy that solves problems and and delivers prosperity and well-being? That, to some people, sounds like a fantasy, but it's real, that happens. And, and again, in Scotland, we cut our emissions and grew our economy faster than any country in the G20. So you're right, there is, the environment's over here and it's managed and the economy's over here and it's all about growth, growth, growth. What you need to do, and the great news is, is that Kate Forbes, the Cabinet Secretary for Finance and Economy, has pulled together this, I'm going to call them the Avengers Assemble, supergroup of economists and really sharp business people, Chris Fantacruel, Sean McGrath, Mariana Mazzucato, take your pick, there's some amazing people on that group. And they are giving advice to the Scottish Government and Ms Forbes on, here's what an, here's what an economy could look like that doesn't, come hand in hand with emissions and inequality and uh, an unjust transition. So it's really, really clever. I'm really excited to see what their report will say, but uh, I think it will be quite seismic for Scotland. It'll give us this new playbook. So here's a, laugh, a, a last line about that, is that Adam Smith, ahead of his time, fantastic, genius, clever, gave the world the current economic system, and it's worked very well in lots of ways, but it hasn't worked for everyone. So it's only right that Scotland says, well, we're going to do... Adam Smith, Wealth of Nations, Mark Two, And this one is going to be called the Wellbeing of Nations. We're going to look at how we grow an economy that everyone, the people in the, I grew up in Court Bridge, right? So the people in the socially excluded areas feel that the government's endeavours for a, a new economy is for them, not just for wealthy people who can buy more Teslas. And I think that's what we saw in the US, Mark, just to paraphrase it really simple, or to make it really sound simple, is that Donald Trump won because he was peddling fear over at the time, you know, others who were trying to peddle hope. Hope looked like it was going to be costly and it was going to cost money and it was people were going to lose out. So they didn't win. Trump's was, we're going to just create lots of jobs. We'll do whatever it takes to get jobs, shale mining, whatever it takes, coal mining even, and we're just going to make everyone in the, the, the central belts of America, you're all going to become, you know, healthy. Uh, sorry, you're going to become wealthy and all the rest of it. So it won. However, Joe Biden, this is this is why I'm quite hopeful. One against all of the odds, Joe Biden came in saying, "We're going to reject that America. Let's make America great again, and let's make America's greatness resonate around the world." That's a better narrative, and let's give the world a new economic system that means everyone benefits, not just rich people in California. Let's make sure everyone benefits, poor people, people in uh, all of these far-flung parts of the state so who for years have rejected the environment because they just see it as somebody else's problem that they didn't cause, nor should they be uh, penalised for fixing. Yeah. So the economy and the environment is the same thing. They should not bump against each other, you know. And I think this new Economic Advisory Council will come forward with scenarios. Here is how you develop I'm going to say the growth word. Here is how you grow an economy that, as it's growing, it's solving problems and creating well-being and closing that gap of the rich and the poor. So it's it's very exciting times. 
It is, and I suppose on the economic piece, Martin, it'd be remiss of me coming from the technology sector not to kind of address the role in the, the, the wider climate tech sector in terms of that economic growth. And I wondered, in terms of growth areas of the economy, where do you see the direction of travel, as it were, in terms of where Scotland has natural advantages and also where we need to kind of develop further as well? We've seen the massive uh, spin-out from climate tech and fintech and all of that stuff and that's just been fantastic in your own sector you've seen the the, the, the increase in digital services and digital solutions that is a massively exciting area that's grown but it's one of many some of the other ones haven't quite got there one for example is you've maybe read and wrote written about or heard about natural capital for well, natural capital to some, not all, seems conceptual. They go, yeah, I understand nature has got a value, but I don't understand how I can put it into my asset register. How do I properly value nature so that it adds value to our business and so that we can trade on that value? It is quite a complex topic, but Scotland's good at solving complex topics. So secular economy is another one, for example. We've managed to take that from concept into practical delivery and credit to Zero Waste Scotland, Ian Gullen and his team, because they've managed to dissect this theory that Ellen MacArthur and people come up with and turn to any practical, here's what you can do, here's how that works, there's a supply chain you can use, here's how you can sell uh, reprocessed and re remanufactured products, then you've got Scottish manufacturing advisory service. So, so suddenly, circular economy seems real. Natural capital is our next big opportunity. We have an abundance of nature in Scotland. I mean, south of Scotland, just showing off here, we've probably got more than anyone else. We've got an abundance of natural capital. And at the moment, it's smashing to look out the window and see it, but it needs to start working on our benefit. Here, here's a scenario. And I've always got to be careful to say this because it does, again, make people go, oh, what does he say there about commoditizing nature? How, how, I'm not speaking about that, but we need to value nature more than just what it does to our eyes. We need to value it so that it actually adds. So the net zero narrative you hear a lot about, for me, it confuses a lot of people, but I think here's a, a simple way I look at it. In fact, I've got my let's do net zero you know, thing here. There you go. So net allows us to tackle the climate, uh, the, the nature crisis. The zero part allows us to tackle the climate crisis. So if you put the two of them together, you're looking at net being nature and because you can offset, you can uh, sequester carbon by peatland management and wood planting trees and, and riverbed restoration, all of that kind of fantastic stuff. But they've never really had that level of uh, investor interest. Investors up until now probably looked at that and thought, yeah, that looks like a good thing to do, but what does it really mean? Do, do I really get much benefit? All of a sudden now, we've got 1.4 million hectares of peatlands in Scotland. Peatland is gold. It's literally like the wild west gold. And not many countries have it. Certainly not many countries have the abundance of it and, and the small size that we have. And yet, because businesses haven't really taken an interest in it, not just because of that, but that's a consequence as well, is 80% of the peatlands in Scotland is degraded. So it's in a bad condition. And when it's in a bad condition, it causes emissions. You know, and it's really quite serious. So the sensible thing we'd say is the net part, how do we encourage an economic system to protect the nature that we have so that it sequesters carbon? 
And then what you get is you get a lot of angry people going, well, that's greenwashing. You're going, well, no, it's not greenwashing because you've got controls and codes. You've got the carbon code, the woodland code, the peatland codes. You've got actual codes in place that we can deploy. I mean, you get SEPA and Nature Scott who can do the diligent, you know, checking of these things. And I would love to see uh, the peatlands in Scotland become an economic opportunity for massive businesses and small communities who who buy into peatland areas down here in Langham, they bought a, a massive area of land that's got peatland in it. So the big opportunity, and I know I, I, I ramble on about this stuff, is that how do we make nature count, literally in that term, and how do we value it so that it becomes something we protect rather than something we manage? And how do we make Scotland's natural capital play for our advantage? Businesses are regulated to a term called BAT, Best Available Technique. When I'm going to make a scenario of business, Valente Distilleries, right? I've just made that up. We're operating at the best available technique and SEPA say, well done, you're complying with every single piece of legislation and you're using every the best available technique. So there isn't any other technique out there that I can put in my system to make things better. I'm at the best, that's what it stands for. But still I'm going, do you know, I still want to do stuff. Still can't, can you do more. I don't want to wait on the innovation and technology. I want to crack on, I want to move on. So what we, what we should be saying to them is, We've seen this nature right here. Do you want to come and help us protect this 80% of our degraded peatland? Why don't you get involved in that? Why don't you put some of your profits into nature? Why don't you sequester those last difficult to reach emissions whilst we're waiting on hydrogen technology being mainstream? And in the meantime, for the next three or four years, your millions of pounds that you're just putting into R&D, why don't you protect nature? and actually stop carbon emitting in the environment and protect Scotland's beautiful nature? That, for me, is a total simple opportunity that we haven't yet explored. Work has been done on it. There's a lot of work being done by government and agencies. The OECD, all of these different economic agencies are now twigged. They're all going, nature, we need to get into it so that we've got nature-based solutions, that net part of net zero. And the great news is, for anyone listening to Scotland, we are sitting, we're like the gold mine for Peatland. It's just we need the narrative to shift from somebody should do something about that to I'm going to do something about that. So it's really, again, back to that opportunity moment. We've got all the opportunities right in front of us. We just need to be on our toes, Mark, to try and make them happen for us. No, absolutely, Mark. I think the peatland restoration thing is absolutely key. And we talked there as well, but how do businesses pivot as well? You know, that's crucial in this as well. I want to, you've touched a bit on there about the, the kind of south of Scotland as well. And I want to kind of touch on that and also look at the role of the south, south of Scotland enterprise in that as well. Now, with it being a relatively new agency, mm -hmm. would you say there's room and agility and flexibility for you guys to think a bit more creatively about what you guys can do in the region when it comes to net zero? You've just articulated why I took this job. You know, because I was working previously for on secondment to Scottish Enterprise for 22 months and a great agency, all the economic agencies are great, but Scottish Enterprise is, uh, it's got a lot of things that's transitioning to make it, you know, they've got a brilliant net zero framework for action and that's fantastic. But if you think about, we're just creating a whole new agency and for the first year we've been kind of uh, brilliantly supporting businesses during COVID, you know, it's all been, you're on emergency, you know, alert, you're just trying to solve things, get stuff done, build a team. But when I started to, so that's what, the thing you've just articulated is what drew me at the job. I thought, well, wait. Maybe I can go in there and I don't have to think about 
So that was a really exciting thing for me to come in here, work with a, a young, fresh team, create a net zero narrative and then socialize it internally and then externally. And actually it's working. We're getting an awful lot of people interested in the South. We've got a lot of really exciting new businesses. There's one that's looking at doing remanufacturing of wind turbine blades uh, and doing that in their area. So we don't, can't say much about that yet because it's still being discussed, but this is the sort of thing we want to be doing here, Matt. We want to be bringing the businesses who want to solve problems into this area. Yeah, no, and it's a, it is a really exciting time for the region as well, Martin. One of the things that's been discussed at COP and broadly in the kind of Scottish government kind of framework is around the, the role of green procurement as well. Now, as an economic development agency that's dealing with public money, you touched upon that earlier on about the kind of need to balance the kind of, okay, yes, there the sometimes need to be risk with regards to innovation, but also yeah. needs to be value for money for the public as well. Where do you see the kind of direction of travel with regards to green procurement. So if you're giving money to the businesses and companies, what are they doing with regards to net zero? Because one yeah. of the kind of stats that caught that, that somewhat alarmed me was that 40% of SMEs do not have a net zero strategy. And as you know, Scotland being a predominantly SME-based economy, it's in the high 90s. So that is a big, big challenge for us. And you know, I kind of wonder what are kind of some of the insights you have on that, Martin, and where do you think we need to go in regards to that net zero strategy, but also on the kind of procurement framework as well? So maybe start with the procurement one because uh, I'm only 125 days in the job. And what we've done is we've taken a, a position to our board saying is that we want to influence. So that's maybe the key word. We want to influence better decisions. So if a local community hall a year ago where I said, we we want to do great community stuff here, but the boiler system packed in, so we need a new boiler system, and that would be a, the cheapest boiler system that you would get, as most people would go for a big gas. And so now that we're, I'm in post, and now that we're looking at things through these fresh lens, we're saying, so maybe cost a few, give them some thousands of pounds to put that in, or give them a bit more, just an example, but encourage them to go with a, a heat pump type system because not only is that there for the long term that's also a behavior change thing it's letting people come in to the community and go what's what's this thing at the side of the building oh let me tell you about that it's educational it's inspirational it's sensible to do and it just is a better way to go you know so it's I, my personal view is you wouldn't want to incrementally improve something that people are ultimately going to get rid of you want to think about the new thing and try and lead people towards that so we've got this approach now we were and it's early days but we want to be every business that comes to us to seek some support or funds as we're trying to encourage and influence and inspire them saying well you could do that or you could maybe think about doing this there's amazing companies that and what we're trying to do when we're doing that mark is line people up with businesses around about here who have solved some of these problems oh did you know there's a, a firm along the road that can do you a a heat pump system uh, or did you know there's a, a lady who's got a new business over there that can do a survey of your premises to let you see where your energy efficiency is thermify and so before you know it a you've got a lot of buzzing businesses now creating a little mini ecosystem supply chain you've got the awareness raising of people who would who don't know what a heat pump is suddenly going oh i've actually seen one it's dead simple it's dead straightforward actually it's really straightforward maybe i should get one from my house so you're creating that initiative about maybe it's time for me to do something and the, I think there's much more to be gained by influencing and incentivizing than penalizing and chasing people into a place they don't want to go. You know, so, so we, we, we will not be saying, well, you're not getting any money to do your gas boilers. Obviously, we wouldn't do that because, like you say, there's a greater need and there's so on. But we are strongly, strongly, strongly suggesting with support, maybe this is the way to go. And by the way, 
we can help line up the sort of people to do that, which, by the way, leads to a bigger outcome for the region generally. So it's that kind of the whole region now thinking about net zero. The, the, my, my big dream when I took the job, and I probably said that in a few years, I want the south of Scotland to be known as in the just transition to net zero leader of the whole of the UK. I want us to be totally all over this agenda. And again, because it's a new agency, I can do that. You know, we can start now. We've got an amazing chief executive who you know very well, Jane Morrison-Ross and a brilliant chair, Russell Griggs, who are both are saying, let's just crack on, let's do stuff. The region needs this kind of level of ambition. And the more we speak to businesses, the more they're coming forward and raising their game and raising their aim. And it's so exciting. The part about the SMEs is a brilliant one. I, I, I chaired an event on at COP one of the last days, and it was the Race to Zero, where I got this thing from. and. It was a really interesting event because the United Nations have a Race to Zero initiative. You'll know all about it. Uh, and there was something like 253, I think that's actually the exact number of businesses that signed up to it from Scotland. That seems tiny, doesn't it, when you think about it? The Race to Zero, United Nations, a free resource to use to calculate your carbon footprint, take your first steps. So there was something about the presentation of that that didn't seem to quite register with people. So... Lots and in the absence of a definitive, here's how you measure your carbon footprint. Businesses are busy doing their business. You know they haven't got time to do this unless you're a massive big company. So your day-to-day -day SME. My daughter's got her own business, as has my son, and they're now saying to me, "What can I do, Dad?" And actually, I struggled. I'm thinking, so you you make candle. Let me think about that. And obviously, you've got Business Gateway. You've got all of these great support. Sometimes it looks like there's too much support. You know, it just looks quite complex. You know, you can see the way Scotland Sepa. You've got all of these things. So it's not easy. So I would always say, you know, we've got amazing business advisors and community advisors. Reach out to us in this area. If there's a business in this area that says, right, I've, I've decided from one reason or other, I want to be net zero by 2030. And, and, and actually, I had that conversation last week with an amazing business down here. And he said, where's my first step? So we're going to help them understand the baseline target. Where are you at the moment? Where's your opportunities to improve your business and cut your emissions and maybe think about new branding and new marketing? And where are the challenges? And what agencies can help you overcome those challenges? Have you got a regulatory challenge? I know someone in CEPA that I'm going to put you in touch with. Are you looking at putting a nature-based solution in? Let me just connect you with Nature Scott. They've got some amazing people there who are coming forward saying, listen, here's a 100-acre peatland site. Would you want to come and protect that? So we've got that kind of family coming together now. It isn't, so I haven't got a definitive answer except to say, it's a kind of like a spoiler alert, is it the three economic agencies as we speak? working with Business Gateway and others are conversing, you know, really quite full on about how can we come on forward with one measure, one simple system for businesses like a signpost where any business of any size can do some self-assessment. So they can say, right, there's my energy use, there's the waste that I throw out, here's the kind of transport, and it gives them a kind of easy first five or six steps. And the thing is, even before you get to step number one is energy. You know, every business to some degree uses energy. Have you checked who you're getting it from? Have you checked your tariff? Have you looked at, you know, thermostats? I mean, these are really, really, really basic stuff. But some of the things our experts, our business advisor come back and say, yeah, I was speaking to them about net zero. But instantly, just by doing something with their heating and the Energy Savings Trust will do audits for you and help you with that stuff for free, by the way. Uh, it looks like I can save probably a couple of hundred pounds a month on my bill, which I might then use to buy that heat pump. You know, so there's there's swings and roundabouts about how you do it. 
my first bit of advice for businesses is just just decide you're going to do it and then go for it. There's no shortage of help. There's no shortage of businesses and uh, partner businesses in your sector. You know, my son's got a, a building firm. Uh, and now he doesn't throw any rubble or waste out when they're doing stuff. He, when he's doing quotes for houses, he says to them, hey, I'll maybe add a bit more on, but I, I could reuse all of your brick and do all that because it's easier just to buy cheap new brick than it is. And he's actually started telling people about a new brick that's been created in Scotland called Kenotech, big shout out, made from construction waste, forms into a new brick. So it's 100% renewable carbon neutral brick. So yes, and it may cost a wee bit more to start with, but it'll, but the, until more people buy them, then it'll become cheaper. Same as what we've seen in solar. Sorry, Matt, I'm going to try and do shorter answers, but you can tell I just get <laughs> not, quite not excited about this not stuff. Not at all, Matt, not at all. And it's funny, one of the kind of the themes running throughout what you're saying there with businesses and, and the kind of development of them is around education and behaviour change as well. Now... <laughs> businesses are always busy i think what you guys are doing in that space is important the, the more joined up strategy the less complex i think it does make it easier for business because they all have busy day jobs right <laughs> now on the kind of education piece as well are we missing a trick in scotland by not having a kind of carbon or climate education from a very young age now don't get me wrong you know as you've probably seen over the last couple of weeks you know the younger generation you know are very very well tapped into this space but probably something that they've been doing out with school if that makes sense so do we need to be doing more in the education system as a whole in terms of climate and carbon and making it common day language but not just the education system as well indeed later on in life with the upskilling and reskilling piece is there areas there that we need to be thinking a bit more creatively about it's it's kind of like a jigsaw picture I think all the pieces are there, but I don't see, so you've described it. I'm looking at a thousand piece jigsaw, a thousand fragmented bits of the education system, but it's sometimes difficult to see the picture. You've got a couple of pieces, someone else has got a couple of pieces and you're going, it looks like a dog, what kind of dog is it? But, you know, so there's something about, and this is what COP was all about. COP is by 2030, we will be doing this by then in that way. And then you go, okay, so it's a dog. I see the picture. So I now understand what this piece does. And it's and it's a dreadful metaphor, but the, but it's something about so that you mentioned the young people. There's I think it's four thousand. There's possibly more, so don't hold me to that. Eco schools in Scotland, that's amazing. These are the green flag schools, and they gain that by being education, uh, you know, environmentally aware of these schools, and they get the green flag, and they're very very proud of them, and keep Scotland beautiful. Big shout out to Barry Fisher and the team. They do amazing work. So they're working with the eco schools project. So the young 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 kids, you know, primary school all over this agenda, totally all over it. Secondary school, you, you discover other things, you know, like sport and friends and, you know, all of that kind of stuff. There's maybe a kind of gap, I think, in the early start of that. And then later on, maybe third, and this is just be summarising on what I've seen with people I know, is that there's this, this second awakening of, right, that's it, I want Greta, you know, I want to save the planet and I want to go out there and campaign and get some stuff done. And that's useful to have activism, but we need to at some point shift activism into actionism. You know, it's one thing saying your house is on fire, but somebody's got to put it out. So yeah. what you want kids to do is not feel abandoned by the challenge of it all and fearful. You get them annoyed, of course. Let's let's get them annoyed about it all, but be optimistic because if they're not optimistic and they're outraged, that will lead to defeatism. We don't want that. We want our young people to feel capable of solving problems, not being uh, 
abandoned, thinking, well, there's no hope, there's there's no chance of us doing something. That's a really bad culture to create. And we're already seeing climate anxiety in young people. Uh, but it's no surprise is because it does look really, really, it does look like some of the decisions of the past from our era have been a bit odd, you know, because they're now seeing hydrogen buses going, why did you guys not build hydrogen buses before? And don't tell me you didn't realise the chemistry because you did, because it's chemistry. And we did, but we didn't do it. And don't tell me that, you know, there's still some, you know, why did it take so long to get electric cars suddenly all over the road? You, you've known how to make electric cars. I think the first electric engine vehicle was back in 1870-something. Seriously, it's that. Yeah. So we've known what we can do, but we've just maybe not had the, the, the opportunity, he says, cleverly, to get involved in it. So the whole education piece, I did actually for lots of events through COP. Three of them were with schools. One of them was with a class of their own. And uh, and that was a great, that was an event with lots and lots of school kids on and, and from all ages. And for me, I certainly didn't notice a lack of education. They were all, all over this agenda. So eco schools, stepping stone, high schools, maybe high schools is the place where, you know, a wee bit more, you know, to play to that culture, and I'm trying to be clever how you use the words here, and I'm not saying it well, is that I remember being at primary and well, and then at high school I became a different person, you know, so maybe there was a kind of gap there, I'm not quite sure, and then later on in high school I was like the eco-warrior of all times, so there's something about, if we can have this continuity of message, and by the way I think we've got it, the continuity for messages, hope, mobilises, fear paralyzes. Let's be hopeful about the future. And you are part of that hope agenda. And we need you to say that's wrong and something needs to be done about it. And then go, so I'm going to do something about it. That's what's missing from the narrative. So I'm going to do something about it. I'm going to address my own actions. You know, I'm going to think about how I can take action. And that's the funny thing about it. It's so simple. It's so simple. This literally isn't rocket science. You know, you exchange your meat dish two or three nights a week for some for, for plant-based or veg vegetables. My wife and I have meat-free Monday. We do it on a Wednesday. In fact, there's some weeks we've done the whole week just because my wife is a brilliant cook and she finds some amazing Italian recipes all made with beans and lentils. Phenomenal. So I'm thinking, do you know, actually, can we make the bean salad tonight? I can't be bothered with the steak. So, and it doesn't, it's not all about loss. It's not all about, I, I need to have a miserable life to save the planet. No, you don't. You just need to think a wee bit differently and try and challenge yourself to do stuff, you know, maybe take the bus more than you do, jump the train more. I've got the electric car that Sozie have and I've been running around it all over COP. And that took a bit of getting used to because, you know, you're looking at the range going, am I going to get home here? But you, <laughs> a tiny wee bit of practice, a tiny wee bit of confidence, a tiny wee bit of bravery. And now I'm second. Now my next car will be 100% electric. Absolutely. And I am a, an old school petrol head. I love cars. My very first car was an MZ Midget, which was just ridiculously emission hungry. But I am now looking only at uh, electric vehicles because they will become mainstream, mainstream, mainstream. And you will, people will be gopping at the street at a diesel and 10 years from there going, look at that old thing. So, yeah. no, definitely. I think, and you know, we could be here all day about the transport piece sure. as well, but that's probably a conversation for another day. I just want to kind of finish on. A kind of subject around you mentioned earlier on about twenty thirty. Now, obviously, you know twenty forty five is where you know Scotland's main kind of target is. But I guess a lot of this podcast is looking at the kind of next nine years. You know, as you just articulated, and just sort of very quickly, you know, what are kind of some of the key things we need to be doing in the immediate future? So, not you know, sort of you know twenty forty five and kind of thinking more abstract. What do we actually need to be doing? As in tomorrow, in terms of next week and next year, and so on and so forth. 
Uh, that nature piece that I spoke about, we need to we need to unlock the the narrative so that it becomes something that businesses can do comfortably. We, we, when I worked in SEPA, a lot of businesses were saying, I'm really keen to do stuff in nature, but I'm terrified of doing it in case someone accuses me of greenwashing. But that, that's what animosity creates. It creates distrust in businesses about being trusted by people. And, and I meet, as you will too, meet with businesses who are just like you and I. If I took over a big, big, massive business tomorrow, am I suddenly going to become a villain? Of course I'm not. I'm going to try and figure out how to make that business as green as possible. So let's look at each other and say, we're here together. This is the collaborative effort. No more combat. Combat leads to casualties. No sensible country would fight with each other all day long. So let's find who we can partner with and solve these problems. So the uh, the big thing for me is that our energy system, we've, got, we've, we've transitioned our energy system unbelievably, but we've got much more to do. You know, we could have a completely hydrogen-based energy system at some point in the future. You know, uh, caveat is that Scotland does not have all of the levers at our own disposal for energy. It's a reserve matter to the UK government. So we're always codependent on other things happening. That's ever so slightly a bit frustrating at times, but not all the time, because sometimes the UK government come in with like city deals, which have been fantastically regenerative in areas. So it's not it's not a political point. It's just fact. The fact is Scotland can't decide tomorrow that it's only going to do this because they can't. It just doesn't work that way. But in spite of that kind of slight challenge is that, you know, our energy transition in Scotland has been probably the greatest in the world. It's been fantastic, but we need to do more. So we've got massive parts of our uh, nation which are still, you know, relying on, you know, old style energy systems. Here in the south, we've got, we are, you know, predominantly carbon positive. We can generate more than we can use. So that should become a beacon for other businesses to say, so out there, any businesses, listen, I need to find an area where I can go and have carbon neutral energy. Come and give us a phone and, and we'll help you find the right location. And we get great transport routes to the whole of the UK when you think about it, where we're located. So energy, nature, we need to understand how we do the net part and net zero, how these businesses who are operating at BAT can take the next leap for that beyond compliance. So your DIGOs, your Unilevers will go, we're really good, we're complying with everything, but I still see challenges out there. How can I get involved in them? Do you want some of this profit? Can we help you solve some of these problems? Which by the way, is going to pave the way for a better future for us anyway. So it's not a it's not just a philanthropic thing to do, it's a sensible thing to do. The whiskey sector uh, survives on nature being here and being in abundance and being good. So it's in their interest that nature is protected and so on and so forth. So there's this virtuous cycle. So nature, energy, and the last thing I would say is belief. The mindset that someone else is going to solve this problem is delusional. The mindset that someone younger and smarter and braver and bolder is going to step in and solve this problem is delusional. We have just nine years. That's that's a box set of the Sopranos, if you want to use it that way. That isn't a long time for us to be, you and I should maybe get back on the phone, although I'll be nearly 70 by then, and we'll chat about, because by then this country we're in is 75% emission reduction that it was from 1990. And I remember 1990, you might not, but I remember it, it was the city of culture, Glasgow, <laughs> and the Garden Festival. I know, were you born in 1990, Mark? No, I wasn't. <laughs> you were depressing. I've, I've got whiskey older than you, I think, and probably jumpers. So I remember that, like yesterday, I remember standing at the, in the Glasgow at the Clyde, not far from where the cop was on the Garden Festival, going, this is smashing with the city of culture. What does that mean and all the rest of it? That feels like yesterday. So in just that same period of time, you know, not that far away, we need to be 75% emission reduction than we are now. That is 
astonishingly challenging, but we can do it if we have that last part of the jigsaw belief. We've got the assets, we've got the intelligence, we've got the finance, we just need to go. And, and again, I'm going to draw it right back to the football from the other night because I'm still quite excited about it all. There was a belief, when you believe you're capable of doing something, you'd be surprised at what happens. And Scotland needs to believe it's capable of being a global leader in solving the climate emergency. So that's probably Martin, a good way to finish on that point. It is, it is indeed. Martin, it's been an absolute pleasure. And uh, I will let you get back to your day job of finding more of those net zero-based solutions. But thank you for joining me on the first of the Herald's Climate Conversations in association with Epson. We will be doing these every periodically over two weeks. So um, do stay tuned for the next episode. But for now, Martin, thank you. And uh, enjoy the rest of your day and weekend when it comes. Thanks, Thank Martin. you very much, Mark. Thank you. It's been an honour. Thank you so Thank much. Thank you. Cheers, Martin. All the best. Thanks, Bye now. Climate Conversations is a Herald podcast sponsored by Epson. To find out more about their environmental vision, visit epson.co.uk slash about slash environment and take 20% off an annual subscription to the Herald with our exclusive podcast code. Enter HeraldPod2021 at your checkout and access our award-winning journalism from your mobile, tablet and PC. Climate Conversations is a Herald podcast sponsored by Epson. To find out more about their environmental vision, visit epson.co.uk slash about slash environment and take 20% off an annual subscription to the Herald with our exclusive podcast code. Enter HeraldPod2021 at your checkout and access our award-winning journalism from your mobile, tablet and PC.